0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. You heard the numbers from Danny and all day long, we've been sort of updating you and the various health authorities have also weighed in with their daily briefings. The numbers don't look good because now we're told we're still in the early stages of this whole pandemic and uh, there could be the worst to come. Against that backdrop, we've been joined on the line by Dr. Brett Belchets, Global News Radio's medical expert and an ER doctor, Brett Appreciate you joining us at a time that must be pretty hectic for you. Uh, how's it going in the ER?
1: Well, we're we're managing. There's certainly a, a lot of anxiety on the front lines. Uh, I think all of us are anxious. Uh, number one, about our, our ability to provide safe care, especially in light of some of the uh, rumors that we're hearing about dwindling supplies of personal protective equipment. So we're we're all being rationed these types of supplies whenever we work and. I think we're all, you know, relatively confident that we can work safely with enough of this equipment and being careful enough. But that being said, you know, when we're starting to get into places where. Uh, there are now requests that we potentially reuse and recycle lots of the equipment that really is only meant to be used once. I, I think many of us are getting progressively anxious about our ability to do our jobs safely. So, so certainly anxiety-provoking, and certainly I think there's also a lot of worry about out there about what we are going to do if we do see a huge upswing in cases. Uh, we've been managing so far okay, but with a lot more caseload, it might get progressively more difficult for us to keep up.
0: I was going to ask, because uh, when we're told that we're still in early days... Uh are you anticipating a surge and uh, bracing yourself for what that might engender? I mean, do you feel you can handle it where you are in the ER?
1: Well, it's very hard to say because, I, you know, we don't know what a surge looks like. We don't know how big it will be. I can tell you that. Our hospital systems, and you and I have discussed this many times, our hospital systems are operating at about 100% capacity at the best of times. And our intensive care units are basically full at the best of times. So there isn't a lot of spare capacity to give to a, a whole surge of new respiratory patients that we just, you know, weren't prepared to handle. So right now, you know, if I look at the hospitals where I work, our ICU's are, are definitely full. We are opening up new bed spaces. Given that we're not operating on patients, we're able to open up spaces in places like the post-anesthetic care units and up on the floors, putting ventilators in places where we ordinarily wouldn't have them. But very quickly, depending on the size of the surge, you know that type of capacity may be exhausted. The the other things that we also worry about is just uh, do we have enough healthcare providers to be handling multiple cases of critically ill patients coming at the same time? Typically, working in the emergency room, we may have two or three doctors maximum at any given time staffing the department. And were we to get to a place like what we're seeing in places like New York and Italy, where you could potentially have very significant numbers of patients needing to be intubated all at once again, that overwhelms our human resources capacity to just care for those patients, get the breathing tubes down those throats and keep them alive. So, you know, it really all depends on how big the surge is. And at this point in time, it's a really huge unknown. We just don't know how big it's going to be.
0: Well, isn't that really the crux of the whole uh, reason for us to be doing things dutifully like social isolating or distancing and uh, trying to tamp down the numbers or so-called flatten the curve to avoid swamping the health system?
1: That's exactly the reason why we're doing it. And there is generally, a, a I would say, a, a bit of optimism that that is working. The, the feeling is that if we had not been doing that, we would have already been seeing extraordinarily larger increases in the uh, case loads of very sick patients versus what we actually are seeing. So walking into the departments now, yes, there certainly are increasing numbers of cases. Yes, we are intubating patients. Yes, patients are very sick with this. But we're not seeing that just incredible upswing in cases that you would tend to see in an epidemic that was out of control and spreading virally around the community. So I think everybody's efforts to to isolate, to stay away from others are paying off. And they have resulted in us so far being able to keep up
0: Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, when we heard Dr. Tam, who is the chief medical officer of health in the country, say we won't know we passed the peak till we're on the downside of it. Uh, But in her uh, presser earlier today was saying that the cases are doubling every three to five days, uh, which is interesting because we're trying to elongate that period before, you know, they're doubling maybe every six or seven days. Then we're starting to see progress. They also said the number of people each case is infecting is decreasing. That's got to be good news
1: that's very good news and if you look at at something like this where you have a virus and and the numbers are still out on on where we're going to land in the long run but but the feeling about this virus is it very easily can take a single person uh who is infected and allow them to infect over 10 or even more other people for each person that's infected so when you look at that type of exponential spread um, you can very quickly go from a place where one person's infected to hundreds of thousands are infected in very, very short periods of time. Now, if you can lower the amount of spread from that one person, so if instead of infecting you know 10 or more people, each person is maybe infecting one to two people, Uh, You end up taking it to a place where that one person who gets infected can actually, you know, several weeks later, have only infected actually – have only left us with a place where a very much smaller group of people are infected. And if you do the mathematics on it, it's just phenomenally different the number of people are infected when you lower the amount of people each person gets sick. So so that is the goal here, really, to get to a place where – Several weeks out, we have much smaller numbers of people who are infected, and thus, as a result, much smaller numbers of people who are critically ill, and we're in a place where we're able to care for people. And at some point in time, hopefully, we start to see decreasing case numbers and hopefully, eventually, the the eradication of new cases in our community.
0: Again, with Dr. Brett Belchets, Global News Radio's medical expert and an ER doctor. You know, when it comes to uh, the numbers, you know, I'm kind of curious because I've heard it said that in some cases where people pass, and it may be in a long-term care home, uh, the idea that there might have been comorbidities uh, and just, you know, lapsing for other reasons, but if they're found to have also been diagnosed with COVID-19, it's ascribed to COVID-19. I mean, is there anything where the numbers might be, I don't know, uh, not exaggerated, but uh, maybe somewhat misleading because COVID-19 is being cited as the reason, whereas it might be something else that uh, is attributable to the death?
1: Yeah, that's a false narrative that that we are seeing in some press. And I think uh, certainly where you're seeing that narrative is in press, where there's a vested interest in trying to portray this outbreak as being less serious than it is. So certainly um, we are not um, causing, we're not calling deaths that are due to other causes COVID-19. And typically, you know, when you see somebody who, has underlying heart disease but you know they could have lived 5 to 10 more years but they die today of COVID-19 their death is not due to their heart disease their death is certainly due to covid-19 so it's a very false narrative and you know we can take that narrative very far you know but in healthcare it's very very clearly understood that it doesn't really matter what your underlying conditions are if something different is the thing that kills you so if you have cancer and you know you die of pneumonia it's pneumonia that kills you not the cancer so we're all we're always very clear that whatever precipitated your untimely death is the thing that killed you. Um so I, I would certainly stay away from that. And if anything, what I would actually say is that we're probably underestimating the amount of, of deaths that are being caused by COVID nineteen. And especially when we look at uh New York City, for instance, where we're actually seeing an incredibly large number of people who are dying at home. So people who aren't even coming to hospital, um, that may or may not be getting classified as COVID nineteen, but the number of people that are dying at home in New York now is actually dwarfing the number of people that would ordinarily be dying at home under ordinary circumstances any day of the week in New York City. So so what we're actually seeing is many cases that very likely are due to COVID nineteen uh, and we're just not classifying them due to COVID-19 because this person did not present to hospital earlier and was not tested. So uh, I, I think it's very dangerous to go down that narrative path. And, and certainly it's important to recognize that those who are going down that path have, have certain you know vested interests as to why they are saying that. If anything, I do think this is more serious than we actually do realize.
0: On that note, uh, Brett, you know, there are some stories where the symptoms uh, are more than just what we've been told or sort of the... Uh Typical are now the uh, consensus opinion that if you've got a sore throat, dry cough, uh, you know, fatigue and so on, I mean, kind of flu-like symptoms. They're very wide and, uh, I guess, varied, varied symptoms. Are you finding that or is that something the literature tells you as well?
1: Yeah, we're absolutely seeing that. You know, we're seeing all sorts of different and unusual presentations of this illness in the emergency room. It, you know, I've seen patients who their only symptom was uh, diarrhea, and you know, they had stomach upset. And so we tested them, and it turns out it was COVID that was causing the digestive upset. And in fact, that is a common symptom of COVID. Um, you know, we've seen quite a few cases in the Greater Toronto Area between myself and my colleagues where the main symptom was actually a blackout. So people, you know, this is a very common thing that comes into our emergency rooms all the time, which is that somebody blacks out, and In the ordinary world, uh, the reason why people black out, it's almost always due to low blood pressure and cardiovascular causes. So we're always screening for abnormal heart rhythms, heart attacks, et cetera. But in the COVID world, uh, one of the things that we didn't recognize in the early days is that one of the main things that it was manifesting as was actually people blacking out due to the effect that it was having on their oxygen levels. So you would have people that really weren't presenting with a typical fever and cough, but yet it was severe enough that it was actually impairing their ability to get full levels of oxygenation. And they feel fine sitting up, and then they would get up quickly, and as they got up, their oxygen levels would plummet, and they would end up blacking out as a result. So we've seen a number of cases where people would come in, and, and nowhere in the story did they talk about cough, fever, or anything else. They just talked about the blackout, and we decided to check them out when we noticed that their oxygen levels were low when they got up and walked around. And all of a sudden, yes, in fact, it was COVID, and we would do a chest X-ray, and there, with no real typical symptoms of COVID, was COVID on the X-ray. So... Uh, It's just stunning how varied the presentations are, which is why in our departments now we're starting to treat every single patient as if they probably have COVID until we've proven otherwise, because otherwise we're just not going to be taking the right precautions with the vast majority of patients.
0: I guess the response to that is wholesale or comprehensive testing, that's uh, one of the keys going forward, we've talked about that in the past. By the way, if people were tested and found that they had it, even though they were asymptomatic, does that mean they've got the antibodies that would make them immune? Uh, Some people are saying that's even a point of maybe uh, having a plasma transfer by way of immediate therapy, Uh, your thoughts on that quickly?
1: It's something that we don't know the answer to. There's some disturbing research that's come out of China where, in fact, a a number of people, I think a a percentage was somewhere around 20 or 30% of people who have actually had COVID-19 and gotten better for some reason had no antibiotics at all and actually were presumed to have no immunity. So this is one of the greater worries, is are there a certain percentage of people who, for some reason, just are not immune after getting this? So there's a lot we need to learn. I think wholesale testing is something that we need to be doing, but certainly wholesale antibody testing to start to understand, what percentage of people that are actually having this and getting better are likely to be immune.
0: It's a fascinating answer uh, to be continued, needless to say. uh, Brett, appreciate it, and uh, on the front lines as well, uh, hope you know everybody's still uh, staying very much engaged here and the morale hasn't slipped. But have a good long holiday weekend, uh, the holy weekend, and uh, we'll talk down the road on the other side. All the best.
1: Thank you very much. You as well. Take care.
0: Dr. Brett Belchets, Global News Radio's medical expert and ER doctor. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe
1: for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.